hear me right? Uh, yeah, my name is Linka, uh, and it is a huge privilege for me to be able to have the opportunity of bringing God's word to you guys this morning. Uh, a little bit about myself. I work for a ministry called Campus Outreach. It's a ministry that uh, Parkhurst is, is, is partners with and has partnered with for a long time. Um, and yeah, we do student ministry. So we, we focus on discipleship um, and evangelism and discipleship in the context of the student campus. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a privilege for me today to be able to talk about discipleship uh, as we look at the next passage in our series in the book of Mark. So um, let me read the passage, then I'll pray again. I know, Mick, you prayed. Uh, I'm not saying your prayer wasn't, wasn't good enough. Um, but let me, re- let me read this passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll take it from there. So. The, the passage we're looking at is Mark chapter 8, and it's from verses 34 till chapter 9, verse 1. It says, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, And calling the crowd to him him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Let me me pray for us. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for just the opportunity of being able to open up your word. Um, These words that we are about to read and go through are holy and have been kept through the ages for us to have and to walk in. Many died to preserve them. They echo God's own heart. May they make known to us the promises of God. May they give us hope, strength, and guidance as we walk in this world. And may they guide us ever so closely towards the cross where reconciliation with God, ultimate satisfaction, and eternity with our Creator is found. Prepare and open our hearts, Lord. Amen. So just to open us up, I want to ask us, so the, the, the title of the sermon is I've, I've, I've called it a call to discipleship, right? So in order to try and understand what this means, we need to figure out what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, but not just any learner, not like a school learner or a pupil, but a disciple is an imitator of the teacher. A disciple has been shown to be someone who follows the teachings, the life, and the aim of another person until they become like their master. And so you you have this image of like a person following another person and trying to imitate them until they become like them. That's what a disciple was. Now I want us to pause here for a minute. Let me ask you guys this morning a simple question. And I would like for you to consider this question as we go through the passage this morning. 
The question is, who or what disciples you? Right? We said a disciple is a learner, it's an imitator of the teacher. Who or what disciples you? Who or what has the most influence over your life? Who or what are you this kind of learner of or from? Is it your boss? Is it one of your family members? Or is it things like media or social media? Is it a specific artist? Is it a politician? Is it a sports team? What do you follow so closely in your life that that one person or people or thing shapes the way you interact with the world? When you pick up your phone in the morning, what's the first thing you want to catch up on? Or the one you spend most of your day following? For me, honestly, like I know Mick said I love the Lord, but for me, honestly, it's, it's sports. But I know that we all have that thing in our mind, and I want you to keep it there. We, we have that thing or a few things that have immense influence over us and over our lives. But as we approach this passage today, I would like us to keep that in our minds um, as we think about what it is that disciples us. The first point uh, from the sermon, so if you're writing points, I have three points. The first one is a call to follow. So Jesus calls us to follow. In verse 34, it says, And calling the crowd to himself, to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So a little, in a, a little bit of context, we, we, we're coming to this place in, in the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus has these people that have been following him, right? He has his disciples, but he also has these crowds of people that have been coming for many different reasons, right? And we, we find ourselves here on the journey to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way there is where Peter, which is the passage that uh, Dave preached for us last week, Peter confesses that Jesus was the Christ, right? That's the great confession. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the one we have all been waiting for. The one who would finally come and free the Jews from the bondage of the rulers who were the Romans at the time, right? Well, this is a part of what many people believed and had been waiting for. But then after Jesus blesses Peter's confession, he, he, he foretells for the first time that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this with the straightest face that he could. Peter pulls him aside and he's like, no, 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 no. He starts rebuking Jesus. This is the disciple, the follower, He's, he's trying to rebuke the master. And why is this? This is because the, the disciples, even though they had been with Jesus this whole time, even though they had seen him do all these things, they still didn't see a clear picture. They thought the Messiah or the Christ is going to come as like this army general who's just going to destroy every, all, all opposition to the Lord, Right? And he's going to preserve the Jews and be their king and lead them 
into freedom and eternity. But Jesus, when Peter rebukes him, Jesus turns back and looks at everyone. So now Peter has pulled him aside, right? Jesus makes sure that everyone, all of his other disciples, uh, he speaks loud enough for them to be able to hear. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And he reminds all of them to set their, their minds on the things of God and not the things of men. And, and that's what brings us to this part. This is where we find ourselves. Jesus calls everyone else. So after rebuking, after rebuking Peter and the disciples, he calls everyone else. He calls the other crowds that were nearby. He wants them all to hear what he has to say. He's, he's opening up this invitation for all who have ears, ears to hear. And they, like I said, they, they were coming to him for all sorts of reasons. And we saw in the beginning of the chapter, like he's feeding people, not that they were coming to be fed, they were coming for miracles, right? Uh, but he's feeding people, he's healing, like he's doing all these things. Um, but now, because they, they want to follow him, they really want to stick around, he's about to lay some boundaries on what it means to really follow him. And, and I want us to remember that everyone besides the disciples at this point didn't hear that, that Jesus spoke about suffering and rejection and being killed, right, and resurrecting. Only the disciples did. And it seemed like it wasn't a successful conversation. But at least now, they at this point had more information about everyone else who's about to hear this call. So Jesus sets these parameters and he says, if anyone wants to come after me, which they already wanted to do, they must deny themselves, they must take up their cross, and they must follow him. So let's, let's, let's spend a little bit of time on this phrase and, and these, these words that he uses. So denying yourself. What does that mean? What are you denying yourself of? To understand this better, you can't read it from the rest of the phrase. So you have to take in account the taking up your cross because that, that ties into denying yourself. Taking up the cross, when, when, when Jesus is making this illustration, the people listening wouldn't have understood it the way we would, right? They wouldn't have, have understood it this clearly because the cross hadn't happened yet. The cross was still coming. But make no mistake about it. They knew what the cross meant. Jesus is illustrating this picture of them that was super clear at the time. It meant humiliation. It meant scorning. The cross was for the worst of the worst, right? And we see later on in the Gospels how the Pharisees had come to hate Jesus so much because he claimed to be God. They had, hate, they had started to hate him so much that they called him a blasphemer. And they chose to let a murderer go and have Christ crucified instead of the murderer. So in their minds, blasphemy was a worse sin than murder. And so Jesus deserved, deserved the worst punishment for it. It was the cruelest way that any person could be humiliated, punished, and killed. And Jesus is saying they should be ready to be treated like criminals for his sake. But why would they? What they didn't realize at the time 
was that it was all part of God's plan, the God who is in control of all things. But let me not spoil that part. You will get there in a couple of weeks. The point is there will be suffering, there will be humiliation and death for those who come after Christ. And, and, and they're doing that because the, the, the person they're trying to imitate, the person whom they are following, is going to go through that. They don't see that yet. They don't see that yet. And so when we talk about denying yourself, we talk about like doing things that are unnatural from what you are used to or what your desires would, would, would point you towards or gravitate you towards, right? Jesus is saying, like, this suffering, this humiliation, this death, no one naturally chooses that. Like, we all naturally would gravitate towards saving ourselves. Like, no one would choose to do this. And so, what Jesus is calling them to is to be to be contrary, to, to do things contrary to what their own flesh and hearts and desires and minds want. He's calling them to something different. He's calling them to crucify the flesh, to hate their sin, to fight daily with the devil, to come out of the world, this corrupted world, and to lose their lives for Christ's sakes and the gospel. These implications of the cross are natural to them. And to deny it means they would have to give up what comes naturally to them. So he calls them to deny themselves. He calls them to take up their cross. And he also calls them to follow him. If they want to come after him, they have to follow him. They must follow him. Whoever wants to come after Jesus must follow him. And follow is following in proximity. So Following close. Now, I love many things about Joburg, but one of the things I don't like is the driving. Right? Everyone follows you so closely here. <laughs> right? Everyone is, is always just on you. In fact, I, I, I once had a taxi that was so close to me that it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't even in the lane that I was in. It was in the next lane, but we were at a robot and... When, when the passenger in the front seat came out, the taxi was so close to my car that when he opened the door, the door smashed into my car. Right? That's how close that taxi was to me. And if you don't believe me, you can go outside and look at my car. There's still that, like, there's still that paint. You can't even wash it off. I don't know what it is. Uh, but that's what, that's what Jesus was calling, that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. The disciples of rabbis, the disciples of teachers, were no different. And, and this illustration will maybe help, but I've heard many preachers say that disciples would walk so closely behind their rabbis that they would actually be covered in dust from the rabbi's feet. That's how close they were following their rabbi. They followed them everywhere, and Jesus wasn't the only rabbi at the time or the only teacher at the time in those days. So the concept of discipleship, the concept of people following a teacher, wasn't new. Jesus wants his disciples to follow him this closely as they learn from his life and follow his commandments. 
they cannot later be witnesses if they don't truly know him and what he's about. So this is what anyone who wants to follow Jesus must do. They must deny themselves, they must take up their cross and follow Jesus. And Jesus, like I said, opens up this invitation to all who want to follow him. And he does this intentionally. He, he evangelizes. He calls those who have ears to hear to follow him and be imitators of him. When you take up the cross, the way you view and interact with the world becomes drastically different. You leave your old self and your old desires behind and you follow your master. And you have to do this daily. Now Jesus has given them this invitation into this special relationship with him. But he gives them four reasons as to why they should follow him. And these are the four statements, four, uh, that he makes. The first three I've, I've put as my second point, which is a call to count. So the, the first three, four statements that he gives, uh, I've termed, if you're taking notes, this is the second point, a call to count. He says, four, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus now gives them this paradox, right? He gives them three reasons why they should, these three. He gives them four altogether. But these three, he gives them as to why they should come after him, deny himself and take up the cross and follow him. It's a paradox because it seems, Jesus seems to contradict himself, right? He's talking about saving your life and losing it. If you want to save it, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you'll save it. This, this could be confusing. But the Greek word here used for life, for this life that you'd want to save, can also be used for the soul. What is your soul? The soul is the immaterial, invisible part of man, the natural life of the body. When your body perishes or ceases to exist, the soul remains. It is who you really are. And Jesus is saying, if you want to save this person, like your inner self, your inner being, then you will lose it. So how can they save something yet lose it, but if they lose it, they save it? What is Jesus saying here? So Jesus is making a clear point. And that is, there are two periods to consider. There is life right now, and there is eternity. If, 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 if these guys live lives that are geared towards the ultimate enjoyment in the present, thereby embracing and loving a fallen world, they get to enjoy all the benefits that come with it. Like, this is a choice Jesus is making them. Like, you love this world, you love it so much, then you can enjoy all the benefits that come with it, right? Everything. But that includes the gloomiest of them all, and that is death. Why? Because death had entered into the world. And if you're familiar with the, with, with the Bible, you'll know that in Genesis 3, Adam sins, Right? He fails to trust in God's eternal plan for him. He wanted to be in control of his own life and decisions. And don't we all? 
But Adam didn't just want that. He actually chose that. He actually lived in that. He chose to forget all the promises and provisions God had made to him and so sinned against him. Chaos then ensued in this now corrupted world and it was still so as Jesus addresses these people in front of him. Choose this world and you will enjoy the benefits of it fully. But just know that the tables are going to turn in eternity. Well, what's the other choice? Jesus says they must lose their life for his sake and for the gospels. What does this mean? Now, I talked earlier about Jesus, uh, and I said that in following him, we, we need to follow in his footsteps. Now, listen to something he says to his disciples later in Mark 13, uh, verse 9 to 13. He says, Be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and, fa- and the father his child. And children will rise against the parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. They will suffer and die. But should they pres- persevere, they will be saved. This is death, right? It can only mean eternal life. Live for Jesus and for his sake and the gospel now in this broken world and the tables will turn in your favor in eternity. Christ is saying what I go through, you will go through. That's what he's saying to them. Now we have to, what what these people would have been thinking at the time is they now have a decision to make. They have to tally up this cost, right? Am I going to do all I can for myself now? Or am am I going to have eternity in mind? Like, think about South Africa's life expectancy. It's like, what, 60, 65, just just below 65 years. And let's assume that most people become Christians at, I don't know, 18. From from 18 to 65, or, or from zero to 65 if you're not a Christian, that's, that's a long time, right? It feels long to us. But when you think about eternity, that's nothing. So how are you going to live your life? Are you going to live it for this short life? Because that's all you know and understand right now. Are you going to live for the pleasures? Are you going to live in your desires, which we said are sinful? Or are you going to think about eternity? But as you, as, you, as you seek to make this decision, we go into the next reason, uh, the, the fourth four statement that he makes, is you have to bear in mind what that decision will be or what it will mean in light of who Jesus is. So you can't make that decision like away from who Christ is. And he, he, he says this, this is my third point. It's a call in light of who Jesus is. Verses 38 and chapter 9, verse 1. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed 
when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he says to them, he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he warns of a time when he will come with the holy angels. And he says that on that day, those who were ashamed of him, of them will he also be ashamed. This is how I like to think about it. Like, if you live your life in this life, saying to Jesus, I don't need you, I don't want you, then what makes you think that God is going to be like, oh, I love you so much in, in eternity? Like, you, you've basically lived your whole life saying, I'm okay, God, like, I don't need you. Is it realistic to expect God to be like, oh, I'll still take you in? No. No, no, no. Matthew adds in his gospel that on that day, Christ says, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. What you have done in this life, the decisions you have made, those are going to determine what happens in eternity. And Jesus' Jesus's kingdom here is being unfolded slowly in front of the world's eyes. And Jesus is promising some standing around him at the time that they will progressively see more and more of this. We will see this unfold as we continue in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and the very next passage that Doug will preach on next time will, 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 will be one of those things that, 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 that starts unfolding the coming of God's kingdom. These events that are to happen will change the lives of these men so much that those men will significantly, those men and their actions will significantly change the world forever. From the exact times that these were happening until this very day and into eternity. But I don't want to spoil that too. Uh, we'll get into that next week. So, right, we've gone through the whole passage. We've considered how the people who were listening to Jesus were comprehending what Jesus was saying. So I want us to then consider, consider what this decision to follow Jesus would mean. We need to consider who he is and what he will come to do. And Jesus gives this choice. It's a choice. It's still a choice to all who listen. There's no coercion. He's not forcing anyone. Now, what does this mean for us today? What does following Jesus this closely mean? The first implication is we have to come after Jesus. We have to deny ourselves and we have to take up our cross daily, right? Our old self, we have to deny. Our old desires, our sinful selves, we have to deny. And with our new selves, we have to choose Jesus. We have to choose salvation. We have to reject who we are. Earlier speaking, when I, when I spoke about the cross, I, I mentioned how it was the most humiliating way to die, right? And this, this was probably most or, or the biggest thing that those listening to him, because the cross hadn't happened, they would have walked away feeling like, ah, like, do I have to like now go die the most excruciating pain? 
But in, in 2021, where we are, we know that Jesus died on the cross. But the cross didn't just stay as a humiliating way that he died. The cross, alongside the resurrection, became the only way in which God, the creator of the world, decided to reconcile us sinful men back to himself. Right? And that's great. So the cross to us isn't just a shameful depiction of the worst death one would experience. It is a beautiful picture of how Christ, by dying on it and being resurrected on the third day, reconciled us back to God. And, and now, as those who have faith in him, those who have chosen to follow him, we get to share in all the riches of heaven. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like if we want this eternity, if we want to experience this love that God has shown to the world, we can only get to him through Christ because of what he has done. It is not on our own. It is not on our strength. It is not down to our tricks and plans. It is only through Jesus. So we, we, we are challenged then by this passage that faith in Jesus means that we choose him over all other things and we do this daily. Right? A disciple of Jesus is someone who takes their faith in Christ seriously and lives it out radically. He will strengthen you through his Holy Spirit. So he, he doesn't expect us to do this in and of ourselves. We can't. But he gives us the Holy Spirit that strengthens us to do that. Second, second application point. You have to consider how radically your life has to look in this world right now as you seek to live the way that Jesus lived. How hard will it be? How weird will you be? But as you, as you, as you do that, think about eternity. Don't just think about this life. Don't just think about how people will make fun of you. Think about eternity. This is, the, I found an interesting quote from R.C. Sproul on his sermon on this passage. And this is, this is what he, he had to say. He says, what prophet, speaking on uh, the prophet that Jesus spoke on, he says, R.C. Sproul says, he's using economic terms, commercial terms, profit and loss statement. You look on the one side, you see assets, and the other side, you see liabilities. You see profit, you see loss, accounts receivable, accounts payable. All those different entries are there. And those who, who know a little bit about accounting will know exactly what I'm talking about. And Jesus says, let's look at this for a minute. On the profit side, there's cash, there's cattle, there are chariots, there's land. How much land? The whole world and everything you own. But on the debit side of the ledger, under the loss side, in red ink, is the expense. And that is your soul. 
From the Lord's perspective, everything on the prophet's side of the ledger contains the whole world. But the only thing on the lost side of the ledger is your soul. You are bankrupt. You have lost everything. So let us not be found wanting on that day. Let us not be found too having loved the world so much that we chose it above our souls. As a Christ follower, and think about it now in 2020, as a Christ follower, how free are you to openly share your views on politics, on parenting, on sexuality or gender, on abortion, on absolute truth, on so many things? Like other people are ready to tell you what they believe and what they think. But as believers, we, we choose to cower down. We choose to want to please others. We choose to want to save ourselves and our reputation in this world. That's not what Jesus calls us to. Everyone, everyone else is always ready to hear you until you take out your Bible. And that's difficult, right? So, but that's one of the costs we have to count. That's, what's going to, that's what it's going to take. The third application point is we have to witness about Jesus. Remember that Jesus calls those who seek to follow him, so he calls everyone else so they can hear this invitation. But you won't witness about someone you don't know. And my, my, my suggestion is that we have to spend time diligently in his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That we may be complete and equipped for every good work. Right? We won't witness about a Jesus we don't know of. We won't. If someone asks you a question or asks, how, how, how can I live this out? You, you can't say you represent Jesus if you don't know what his word says about him. We are called to know who he is. And this scripture that he has given us, his word, is breathed out by him. And it's profitable for all things so that we may be complete and that we may be equipped for every good work. Every good work that he has in line for us, we can only do that if we know scripture. So we need to spend time in scripture. We also need to connect and fellowship with other believers and followers. Be in relationship with them. Be around them. Like you learn from them. Point each other towards Christ. We, we won't all always be doing good, right? There are times when things are tough and, and you even question your faith. But if you're around others who who understand and believe in the same things, they can pull you up. They can point you back to, to Christ. But if you are away from these people, you will never be able to do that. We want to know Jesus and make him known in the world. And you will be persecuted for this in one way or another. Whether it is, be, whether it is by beheading or whether it is being made fun of, or believing in nonsense in this postmodern world. But the challenge is we shouldn't be afraid to live out our faith in front of others. 
Are you telling others about Jesus? If we were in a devastating war, and for one reason or another, you were one of the first people to hear that the, the war has been won, right? People are still shooting each other outside, but you're in this room, you find out that the war is over. I mean, I don't know which person wouldn't run outside and say, stop, stop, stop. Like, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to shoot each other. The war is over. The enemy has been defeated. Right? And, 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 and as believers of, of Christ, we have this gospel that a lot, a lot of Christians would say is the, good, the best news that the world has ever gotten, right? But do we tell people about it? Does, does, does that inform what we really believe about it? Is, is it really the best news that, the world, that, that we could bring to the world? The fact that Christ has died for our sins and that the God who created this world wants to be reconciled with us through him. Let's share the good news with others. It's the greatest news we've ever, we've ever seen or heard, so let's act like it. So anyone who is willing to deny himself and follow Jesus, no matter the cost, will be forgiven, will be saved, and will be his disciple. Now I asked the question earlier, who or what disciples you, right? And let me, let me speak a little bit about what discipleship in the Christian context is. Discipleship in the Christian sense is the process of making someone become like Christ. The disciple of Christ is to become like Christ in everything. And another uh, definition that I really like, uh, that we uh, in Campus Outreach normally use as we think about discipleship is this. Discipleship is the work of the Holy Spirit through a life-on-life process whereby a gospel-saturated worshiper of Jesus Christ commits himself in love for an extended period of time to a few men of faith who have been evangelized. The purpose being to establish them in their growth to maturity and equip them to be and reproduce lifelong laborers. That's what it's about. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not down to us. It's not what we can do. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through a life-on-life process. I spoke about being around people who can point you back to Christ. Life-on-life let me see your life. Let me, let me see how you interact with your wife, with your kids. Let me see how you interact with the homeless. Let me see how you handle conflict. And, and, and these, these worshipers of Jesus, gospel-saturated worshipers of Jesus, they commit themselves in love for an extended period of time. Christ was, was with his disciples for three years. That's an extended period of time. It's not a couple of weeks. It's not one Bible study. It's an extended period of time. The aim of all of this, and these are to, to a few men of faith who have been evangelized, so people who believe what you believe. The purpose of all of this is to establish them in their growth to maturity, right? So we, we, we shouldn't be stagnant. We should consistently be growing, becoming more and more like Jesus. But it's not just growing for ourselves, but we equip each other in this process to be and, and produce lifelong laborers, right? 
the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's what Matthew 9 says. Like we want to be laborers in God's harvest. We want to be calling people to Christ. We want to play a part in what God is doing in bringing people back to himself. So surround yourself with those who love Jesus, who love the Lord. And remember that the Holy Spirit is with us. Forget about trying to do it on your own. Forget it. You cannot even give it your all. That still won't be enough. So then, this call that Jesus gives us is to choose him. right? Choose him and choose him over everything else. Do this daily. Now I have uh, challenges. I have challenges. Um, and the first one, I'd like to challenge those who haven't experienced this relationship with Jesus yet. Right? Believers. This is an invitation for you. Your eternity is at stake. He is calling you today. He is calling you today. Hebrews 3.15 says that, uh, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. If you feel that nudge, if you're feeling that nudge right now, don't ignore it. It's urgent. It's not for tomorrow because tomorrow has no guarantee. The gospel is for you no matter how bad you think you are. What Jesus did on the cross is enough for you, for, for, for him to win you over to God. Hear the call, heed the call, and choose Christ. And don't respond to this out of fear. The reality of hell is, is, is real. It's real. It will happen. But Christ offers more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. He offers life and ultimate satisfaction, both in this life and the next, no matter how difficult it is. And for believers, the challenge is to endure, to push on. It will not be in vain. Paul reminds us when he speaks to his disciple, to, 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 to the guy following him, uh, he says to him, to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, 2, verses 11 to 13, the saying is trustworthy. You can trust in this. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So we die with Jesus, right? The cross, we die to self. We, 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 we die to our own desires. We die to our sin. And we choose him. He has already done it. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't done, something he hasn't gone through. So he calls us to do that. He calls us to die with him so that we can live with him. And if we endure, this is through the Holy Spirit, we will also reign with him. We will enjoy all the benefits and pleasures that heaven will provide. But the warning is still there. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, if we fail to be faithful to what he has called us to, but we trust in him, he will remain faithful. 
And so we can trust in that because he cannot deny himself. So Jesus calls us. Jesus calls us to be his disciples. He calls us to be those who imitate him. May our lives be evidence of that. And, 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 and today, as we choose Jesus every day through his grace, he also gives us these things called sacraments. And, and one of them is, is communion. And Mick will lead us through that. But uh, we, we, he gives us reminders of why he did what he did. And so today, even as we, 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 we approach the table of grace, I pray uh, that we may be reminded of this Jesus we seek to follow. That we may be encouraged by what he, by why, what he has gone through for us and that we, we may seek to live our lives uh, out for his glory because of what he has done for us. So let me, let me, let me pray for us and then Mick will lead us um, in that. Heavenly Father, uh, you have called us to yourself. You have given us this great invitation to be reconciled back to you. And we thank you for that. Thank you that Jesus died and was resurrected and that he will come back in glory. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can trust in your promises, um, that your Holy Spirit can strengthen and encourage us as we seek to live this difficult life that you have called us to. Difficult in, with regards to what our desires are. The fact that we have to go against our sin, Lord. But we, we thank you for your grace upon us and, our, and your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that, you, that we may be reminded of this and that we may be encouraged and that we may live for you and make you known in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.